those verses in Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, we've read the whole psalm, and it's always good psalm, chapter, my apologies, the chapter Isaiah 53. It's always good to look at the context, always good to keep the context. Um, but we're looking at verses 4 and 5, he says, Surely he has borne our griefs. This is the servant, this great servant of God. Behold the servant. He has borne our griefs, and he has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Again, repetition, yes. But that's not a bad thing. The Lord Jesus Christ is this servant. He is God's servant. And oh how we must behold him. We must look at him. Gaze upon him. In wonder. In adoration and praise. You know the chorus of that song. Only a holy God. We've sang it here haven't we? Only a holy God I think. He says come and behold him. The one and the only. Cry out. Sing holy, forever a holy God. Come and worship the holy God. Come and behold him. He is the one and only, isn't he? There is no other. This great servant of God, who is the most humble person that this world has ever known. And yet he is the king. He is the God of heaven and earth. And I, if I were God, if you were God... I don't think that we would be humbling ourselves like he did. So the one in whom we've just read in this great and blessed chapter, he deserves our worship. And he deserves the praises of our lips. But I hope that it's the praises not only of our lips, but of our hearts. It's easy for us to sing a song, isn't it? It's easy for us to utter words on a screen. But do I really worship him inside of my own heart and mind? It's just a question that I like to ask myself. He should wear the crown. And he should sit on the throne of our lives. The very centre. You know, if he is our heart, then he will be our lives. The scripture says, doesn't it, that Christ is our life. Without him we don't live. Without him we don't breathe. He holds our life in his hands. He is the king and should be on the throne of our very lives. The longings and the desires and the dedication of our hearts and minds and lives, all of those should belong to him. Whatever our desires are, whatever our dedications are, he should be the top of every list. Paul speaking to the believers in the church at Corinth exhorts this. Only let each person, this is 1 Corinthians seven seventeen. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. And to which God has called him. See the Lord has assigned to us a life to live. He has given us all a life. Yours is different to mine. 
Mine is different to yours, but he's all, he's given us all a life. He has assigned us a life to live. Beginning to end is in his eternal decree. And we will live it. We will live this life, whether that be long, whether that be short, with all its ups and with all its downs, with all its failures and with all its victories. With all its joys and all its pains. And we shall do it as believers all unto the glory of Almighty God. No matter what comes, no matter what we face, we do it unto the glory of Almighty God. In the garden at the time of our Lord's Passion, when the soldiers came to arrest him, Peter drew his sword and he struck Malchus, the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. Jesus said to Peter in John 18, 11, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? The same for the Lord. He's given us a life that we shall live, and he has assigned to us a life that we shall live, and we shall live it no matter what. And he had assigned a life. And he said to Peter, Shall I not drink the cup that has been given to me? Who gave it to him? His father. We see in, later on in this psalm, it says, It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. You know, there's often a question, isn't there, about who killed Jesus? And I think we may be very reserved to say that it was God. He used men, the wickedness of men. It says in Acts that uh, by the hands of wicked men you have crucified the Lord. So was sin that nailed him to the cross. But it says right there, it was the Father. It pleased the Father to bruise him, to put him to grief. That was... That cup, that was what was in the cup, the wrath of his father. And the truth is this, he drank down every drop. Every drop that was in that cup, he drank it. And he did it, not for himself, but for all his people. And he says, surely, surely he has borne our griefs. The Son of God took upon himself the flesh of man. As part of that experience, he took upon himself what we might call the natural needs of the flesh. The, nat the natural infirmities, as some people call them. Such as hunger. Jesus hungered, didn't he? You see that, you read that in the scripture. He hungered, he, he thirsted, he, he, he got weary, he was tired. He, these are the natural um, infirmities, if you like, of the human experience. They're not sinful. It's not sinful to be hungry. It's not sinful to have that need. It's not sinful to be uh, thirsty. It's not sinful to be weary. They're part of the human experience. It may have come from uh, the fall, in the sense of being weary at least. But nevertheless, Jesus took upon the flesh and he experienced these things. And he understood, you see. He understood the griefs and the sorrows. He understood our griefs and our sorrows, the toil that these things took upon man. He experienced it. He lived for 
33 plus years, a bit more than 33 years maybe, on this life, in this, in this world. And he experienced everything that a man could experience, yet without sin. So he could sympathise. Doesn't the scripture tell us, have we not got a high priest who can sympathise with us? He was tempted in every way, and yet he didn't sin. We, of course, we don't, uh, we don't find that so easy, do we? We can't not sin. It's our nature. So, in his earthly ministry, we read of him as he, as he looked upon his people, as he looked upon mankind, his creation. He looked upon them and he sympathised with them. And so, we see that he went around healing various diseases, various sickness, various bodily ailments. Compassion and love. But this bearing of our grief expresses the bearing of an even greater sickness. We know what that is, don't we? A sickness of sin. That's what he bore. When he says he bore our sicknesses, he bore our griefs, he bore the sin of his people. Let me ask you, husbands, when you're out shopping with your wife, if you do go shopping with your wife, I know that my brother loathes going shopping and very rarely goes shopping, but when you go shopping with your wife, if there are any bags, do you not take them from her and carry them so she doesn't have to? You should be nodding. <laughs> or, let's just say there are too many bags for just one person to carry. Maybe it's the weekly shop or whatever. And there are too many just for you to carry. What do you do then? Do you surely not make sure that you are the one man to carry the heaviest bag so that she is not burdened or weary? Again, we should be nodding. But this is a very, you know, worldly, human example. But you see, that weight of those bags hasn't disappeared, has it? It's not disappeared. But her burden's been made lighter. It's just been transferred. The weight hasn't disappeared. The weight's been transferred to me. I've taken that weight off of her so she's not burdened, so she's not weary in the carrying of it, but I still have it. You see, Christ, it says that Christ bore. He didn't just take away our sin and just kind of wash it away somewhere not least initially he took it from you made your burden light but he took it upon himself he was the one that bore our griefs and our sorrows he took them from us onto himself they were transferred from us to him he took upon himself our heavy burden and yoke, making ours light and easy. He said this, didn't he? Come, come to me, all you who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Our griefs were borne, and our sorrows were carried. 
And it gives you that meaning, doesn't it? That they weren't just, they didn't just, God didn't just come and say, right, it's okay, they're all gone, it's all done. In a sense, he did, it is finished. But he carried, he bore them. See, this is the meaning here of this is, is one of the taking a load from one onto oneself and dragging it along. Literally bearing the load. I just think about him on the cross and the weight. You know, we, we sometimes talk to our families or friends or whatever when we know they're going through something particularly tough. And we may say something like, you look like you've got the weight of the world on you. But in reality, he truly did. He had the weight of the world upon his shoulders on that cross. I want you to note that at the beginning of this verse, the word, surely. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. When I think of this, my childhood comes to mind. And I think about when we went to the coast in the summer. We would pack up everything we needed for the beach. And there was usually a lot of stuff. And the beach was always a good walk away. One of us would be carrying something heavy and we would be swapping it with one another for something lighter as we walked along. And then after a while, we'd swap it back again. And we did that until we reached the beach. But again, Jesus didn't take our heavy burden away only to give it back. We didn't, didn't share the load and then say, look, it's getting a bit too heavy for me now, it's your turn. He said, surely I have borne your griefs. He has borne it truly, firmly and absolutely and he has carried away your iniquity. And he will never, never lay it again upon your shoulders. It's not like my brother who gave me the heavy bag to carry. And when it got too heavy for me, I passed it back to him. And then it got too heavy for him and he passed it back to me. Not so with Christ. He took it once. A heavy burden. And he will never again strap it to my shoulders or yours. It's gone. It's done. And as we said earlier, it is finished. He says that he was wounded for our transgressions. So he didn't only bear and carry away our sin, but he was punished for it too. We just sang it in one of the songs we sang, that he was punished for our sin. Penal substitution, have you heard that phrase? There's lots of people now in our generation in the Christian church that don't believe in penal substitution. Don't understand that. How can our sins be dealt with if there wasn't a substitute for us. That's what it means. Penal substitution. Penal means penalty. Substitution means to take somebody's place. In the Old Testament, the sacrifice of the Day of Atonement were two innocent spotless goats. One was killed shedding its blood on behalf of Israel's sin. And the other had all the transgressions of Israel laid upon its head. Then this particular goat was let out into the wilderness, which is an 
uninhabited land, never being able to find its way back. One symbolises the debt paid by death and the shedding of blood. The other symbolises the wonderful truth that sin is permanently dealt with. The goat was sent out and it never came back. Sin's dealt with. He died the death, the blood was shed. Without the shedding of blood there's no remission of sin. And the sin laid upon its head to go out into the wilderness never to return. And these two goats represent one offering for sin. <clears throat> Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. They're gone. They're done with. They're over. Finished. Paid for. The account you have is now in the black. You don't owe a penny. John 1.29 Behold the Lamb of God who what? Takes away the sin of the world. Doesn't just hide it under a chair somewhere. Doesn't just kind of put a, a screen in front of it so it can't be seen. He takes it away. Because it's been laid upon him. He is the scapegoat. And he's taken it away. And he'll never come back. And in the scripture, doesn't it say, the chastisement for our peace was upon him. I find that amazing. It, does that not there speak to you of a penal substitution? The chastisement, what I deserve in order for me to get peace was on somebody else. Is that not a substitute? Is that not a penal substitution? The chastisement for our peace was upon him? Absolutely. I accept it wholeheartedly that he died in my place. He took upon himself my sin and he carried it far away. And he did that for you. See, these goats were innocent. These goats were blameless and without blemish. And yet they suffered in the place of the children of Israel. As I said earlier, we must always view these things through the eyes of looking for Christ. Jesus Christ, the spotless, sinless, blameless, pure and holy one. The Lamb of God suffered and died as a substitute. Not only for an actual nation of people, but for a spiritual nation of people. That spreads all across this globe. Revelation 5.9 says, They sang a new song, saying... You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. He has a myriad, a numberless multitude of people from all across this globe that he has saved and carried away their sins. Not just one nation. A spiritual nation of people. <clears throat> when we hear that Jesus was wounded for our transgressions, we'll no doubt kind of automatically cast our minds upon his beatings, the whippings, the scourgings, and ultimately his nailing to the cross. That's what we will 
probably picture when we read he was wounded for our transgressions. And, you know, we wouldn't be wrong to think that. But there is included in this wounding. That this wounding is about Jesus being profaned. That this person was desecrated. You may have heard of like things like people of young people have gone into graveyards and desecrated graves. They've just smashed the tombstone, up earth the flowers, and just, just wrecked the place. The desecration is it's a horrible thing. Lack of respect and care. Jesus was wounded, he was desecrated, he was polluted. Defiled is part of the meaning of this word. Jesus Christ was defiled for our transgressions. Violated, dishonoured, made common. This royal son of heaven was made common by men. And he was treated as common. He was treated awfully by the people who were his. His own people. Not only his own brothers in the sense of Jews. But his own creation. Think upon that. He allowed his own creation. Whose very lives he held in his hands. To nail his hands to the tree. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was crushed, broken, humiliated. And he gave himself and allowed himself to be crushed. You see, nothing, nothing and no one had any power over him at all. They didn't then and they don't now. You know, we don't want to look at this, this lovely spotless Lamb of God being weak. That he was just some kind of pushover that he just let them do all that to them. I mean, he did. In that sense, he did. But they had no power over him. I could command 12 legions of angels, he said, didn't he? And what did he do when he moved forward and he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you seek? They all fell backwards because of his power. Nobody had any power over him, only that which he allowed. Just as he said to Pilate, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. He has all the power, but he laid it aside so that he could be wounded for our transgressions, that he could be crushed and bruised for our iniquities. And he allowed it to happen. By his stripes we are healed. You see, it says this, doesn't it? By his stripes we are healed. We can't be healed by anything. We could be stripped, we could be mocked, we could be beaten, we could be spat at, we could be treated in exactly the same way. But our wounds and our stripes will heal no one. His, by his stripes, by those wheels in his flesh filled with blood, by his stripes, we are healed. We cannot be healed. We cannot be saved in any other way. But through him and through his death and through the stripes of his wounds. 
See, sin is not only a crime for which we were condemned to die, and which Christ purchased for us the pardon of, but it's a disease which tends directly to the death of our souls, and which Christ provided for the cure of. By his stripes, that is, the sufferings he underwent, he purchased for us the spirit and grace of God to mortify our corruptions, which are the distempers of our souls, and to put our souls in a good state of health, that they may be fit to serve God and prepare to enjoy him. And by the doctrine of Christ's cross and the powerful arguments it furnishes us with against sin, the dominion of sin is broken in us, and all we are fortified against that which feeds the disease. As Matthew Henry commented. We are fortified against that which feeds the disease. We are no longer under the dominion of sin because by his stripes we've been healed. Many people take this out of context to mean something completely different. This is a spiritual issue. This is no promise that you won't get ill or sick and that you won't leave this world by a disease somehow. This is about the state of your soul. You are healed. Even if your body is racked with sickness, you are healed today if you trust in Christ. Absolutely, 100% done and dusted, healed. You have eternal life now. We must return to the place in which we started and in a place which should have no end. We will have no end in eternity place of adoration we should stand back shouldn't we and behold him and this beholding should be one of adoration not only adoration for a second but adoration that continues and goes on and on and on a place of amazement a place of unrivaled devotion is there anyone else who deserves such laudation than the spotless Lamb of God. We have people we admire, don't we? We have people that we love, we have people that we respect, rightly so. But no one deserves the laudation, the adoration, the amazement, and the praise, and the worship. Nobody but the spotless Lamb of God, who underwent far more barbaric cruelty than any man can bear. Who took the full wrath of Almighty God upon himself. Who bore the punishment as one who was guilty of every manner of sin. He wasn't guilty of it. As some people have been blasphemously teaching. He didn't become guilty of it because he took it upon himself. He didn't become guilty of your sin and my sin. But he bore it as though he were. Not for the Jews only, nor the Gentiles only, but more personally, he bore your sin, my sin, and he bore its punishment, taking the burden from our shoulders, receiving that crushes, uh, crushing blow of righteous judgment, so that God, his Father, and our Father, he called him that, didn't he? I am going to my Father and to yours. 
And they didn't much smile upon us. He's heard this morning. What a friend we have in Jesus. And he did it that he might smile upon us. And I'm telling you now, through Christ Jesus and his blood, he smiles upon his people. He smiles upon his adopted children. And that he might receive us to himself, a pure, blameless and spotless bride. What a saving. The challenge for us is that we, we should spend this life from this day forward. In beholding this servant. Gazing upon his beauty. Loving him. Living for him. Every day. In that freedom from sin. Do you believe you're free from sin? You are free from sin. If you trust in Christ. As your salvation. Free from death. Because he's purchased life for you. Honour him. Serve him. Live for him today. Live for him every day. And if you haven't and if you don't. Start today. Come to him. Cast your burden upon him. We repent of our sin. and The past, the present, the future. His blood is powerful, you know. And can cleanse even the most vile sinner. And today is the day of salvation, isn't it? It's always the day of salvation. It's always today. And as we know, and as is being so dramatically shown to us of late, we don't know with what tomorrow. We don't. And what we do have is this servant. The one who has been wounded for our transgressions. Bruised for our iniquities. Who has chastised for our peace. And by his stripes we've been healed. May God be praised. Father we thank you for your most tremendous, beautiful, wonderful word of truth. We thank you for this servant of God this servant that we're trying to behold. Help us, Lord, to behold who he is. May it be that we know of a real truth in our souls that he has come, that he has been wounded, that he has been bruised, that he has been chastised undeservingly so, so that we may have true peace with you. So that our sin can be blotted out. So that we can be healed. Father we thank you tonight that if we are his we are healed by his stripes. We commit our way to you and Lord I pray in Jesus name for any amongst us who don't know you. May these words of this powerful chapter of Isaiah 53 penetrate even the hardest of hearts among us. Lord where we failed we ask you to forgive us. Where we have lacked in praise and worship, where we have lacked in our dedication, where we've lacked in our adoration and in amazement, where things have become too familiar. Maybe we've been devoted to something completely outside of the Christian faith. Forgive us, we pray. And I pray, Lord God, that we might see you afresh. 
with greater spiritual eyes than we've ever known. And that we might spend the rest of our lives in unrivaled dedication and adoration to you. Lord, I ask for myself, for my family, and for my brothers and sisters here today and all those that belong to us. Lord, we ask for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.